All right, all right, everyone, take your seats, please. This time we're talking about lists and how to use them better. Take your seats, please. Thanks. This is the Change Academy podcast, a show where we explore what it takes to create a healthy mindset, sustainable habits, and to create the life you want to live. I'm Monica Reinagel. And I am Brock Armstrong. To-do lists, honey-do lists, itineraries, <laughs> checklists, scorecards, and even that old-timey daytimer that you might have tucked in the back of your sock drawer, well, these can all be great tools to keep us on track. But they can also seem like an overwhelming task in and of themselves. Or worse yet, they can become yet another way that we judge our own abilities or judge our own self-worth. So, in this episode, we are going to show you how to create a list that suits you and suits your goals. And we'll also show you how to structure that list so it can keep you on track without being a constant reminder of how much work you have left to do. Right. The tyranny of the to-do list. It doesn't have to be a tyranny, though. That's what we're going to talk about. But... As usual, we have some things we want to cover first, and this time we're actually going to look at an email from somebody that we coach, and she actually came up with a list of 10 things that she felt added up to making her successful in, in this case, being someone who weighs less or losing weight in the more common vernacular. (laughs) So I won't read the entire list, but here's a few of the things that she had on her list that she felt set her up for success. She said, eat three meals a day, no snacks, regular weight training, don't eat refined flour, make better choices when eating out, and meditate daily, and then in brackets, to lower stress. So not a not a bad list. I mean, there was a lot more to it, but it's a, a pretty decent list. But she went on to say, when I think about these things, it doesn't sound that hard. So what's the problem here? But then she goes on to say that it's really just hard to make this happen consistently without expending tremendous emotional energy that I just don't have. And that's where the problem comes in, I guess. Right. So she'd she'd made this great list and, and really thought about what behaviors were linked to her success. And like you, Brock, I thought she came up with a great list, but then she found it overwhelming. And that's what we were talking about a little bit earlier. If your to-do list feels too big, then you just kind of feel crushed before you start. So what I suggested that she do to kind of make this more approachable is to choose three of the things on her list for now, not forever, just for now, and prioritize them. And by prioritize them, I mean, think about how she can remove whatever barriers or hurdles are standing in the way of her implementing those and get into the habit or the routine of performing them on a regular basis, make them more consistent, make them more of a habit. And then once she's gotten more consistent and comfortable with those, she can tackle a few more, but maybe just that list of all 10 at once, you just kind of know, don't know where to begin with it. Yeah. And I thought that was a fantastic suggestion to pare it down and just make it a little more manageable. But as you'll find out as the episode goes on, I have some more ideas about how to make the the list a little more, I don't know, a little more loving, a little more, um, a little more coaching instead of restrictive. But you'll find out where we've got a few things that we're going to cover about that. But first of all, let's start off with this. I know probably a bunch of you are thinking, yeah, well, a to-do list is generally something that you associate with like productivity, not necessarily with habits or behavior change. But 
We believe that in the same way that a to-do list can actually keep you on track with tasks, it can actually help you keep yourself on track with your behaviors and your habits too. The trick is really to not let it become overwhelming and (laughs) not make it some kind of oppressive buzzkill that just is always looming in the back of your day. Now, one of the really important things to keep in mind is, like always, we tend to say this a lot on the podcast, is that we're not going to just tell you exactly what you need to do and how you should be creating your own list. What we want you to do is take some of the suggestions that we're going to make over the this episode and look for the ways that you can really own it and make the list your very own that works in your life for your own mindset and for your own practices. And in the end, your list is going to look really different from probably my to-do list and probably from Monica's and your friends and everybody else. So just to help us kind of organize our thinking, we're going to talk about three different categories of lists. So we're going to start out by talking about to-do lists. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to talk about scorecards, which is kind of a special subcategory of list. And then finally, we're going to talk about checklists and how they might fit into this. But let's start off with to-do lists. My favorite. (laughs) You do love your to-do list. I do. I've said so many times that I live and die by my to-do list. If it's on my to-do list, it will get done. And if it's not on my to-do list, chances are it's going to get forgotten, (laughs) which may or may not be the greatest thing, but I've made it work for myself. But, you know, the problem with the traditional to-do list is that they're all task-oriented, and at least this is what I see as one of the one of the biggest problems with to-do lists is they tend to all be oriented around tasks and don't have anything fun or even life-changing on them. And if they're for your business, of course, they're going to have a bunch of tasks on them. And if they're for your housework, it's just going to be the same thing. But what we're proposing is to not necessarily just make your to-do list an endless list of tasks. Right. Not just a list of of unpleasant chores that have to Mm -hmm. be executed. And in fact, if you remember in the lab experiment for episode 25, when we talked about how to break rewarding habits, we actually suggested that you make a list of all the activities that you can think of that you find rewarding or that give you pleasure. This is a great thing to have in your back pocket. But this is the same sort of thing. These these lists can include a lot more than just what we have to get done. They can also include the things that we really want to do and, and get done. Yeah, actually, that would be the perfect place to start. If you've got a to-do list that is just all task-oriented, go back to your lab experiment, because you did it, right? <laughs> your episode 25 lab experiment, and grab some of those things from that list of activities that you did and start adding them into your into your to-do list and try to break up some of those tasks and make it feel a lot more fun. Undeniably, it's satisfying and fun to do something like mowing the lawn and checking that off of your list, but it feels even better to check off your list, take a long walk, or make progress on your long-neglected manuscript, or watch a hockey game, (laughs) things like that. One of the biggest breakthroughs I had on my own to-do list was to include things exactly like that. Like, I put watch hockey game. I put things that were self-care kind of activities like going to bed early or even doing some meal planning on that to-do list. Right. I think that's a lot of people have these things that they intend to do for themselves, whether it's yoga or meditate or like you say, meal planning, um, but they never seem to get done. And that's a cue that maybe those tasks need to move on to a more official organ like your to-do list. 
if you're just sitting around waiting for that moment to present itself and then you will do your meal planning, well, it's probably not necessarily going to happen. So putting it on the to-do list is a perfect way to make it actually happen. Now, another mistake that I've seen people make on their to-do list is just creating one really long, never-ending list that you could never possibly complete in a single day or maybe even a single week because it's just become sort of a dumping ground for everything that pops into your head or everything that happens in the house or or whatever. And then, of course, every time we look at it, we get a, a pit in our stomach and we just feel bad about the fact that we're never going to get everything on our list accomplished. I had that to-do list for years. I had this sort of never-ending to-do list. It was pages and pages long. And, you know, I, I thought I had to put things on there so that I wouldn't forget them. Mm-hmm. You know, I just thought, well, I'll just put it on my to-do to- list so that I capture this and don't forget it. But it was it was exactly that. It was so oppressive. It made me feel so ineffective. Like I just wasn't getting anything done in my life. And what I found to be an absolute game changer, I actually threw away my to-do list. But before I did, <laughs> I transferred everything that was on my to-do list into my calendar on a specific date at a specific time. And this accomplished a number of things at once. It forced me to make some decisions about which things were more important than others, which ones needed to happen first or sooner. And it also forced me to think a little bit about, well, how long would accomplishing that thing take? You know, I mean, is that a one week project, a one year project, a lifetime project? And And I found that if there was something that was on my list, but I couldn't find a spot in my calendar, I was unwilling to pick a day, no matter how far out in the future, if I was unwilling (laughs) to pick a day that that was going to happen, then it really didn't belong on my to-do list in the first place. So this was the beginning of like freedom from that to-do list oppression. For me, the tyranny of the to-do list was to quit using to-do lists and put those things into my calendar. Now, what I will do is as I go through the week and think of little things that I want to accomplish, I will keep like a little micro list. Mm. But every Monday morning, I sit down with that list. And anything that's on that list either gets calendared in or forgotten, eliminated, crossed off, Mm. thrown out. And you know, the other uh, little part of that, that helps is that if I decide, okay, I'm going to work on this project at 10 a.m. on Wednesday morning, and, I, and I've and i scheduled in a couple of hours to work on it, I think ahead of time about exactly what chunk of that big project I'm going to yes. I'm gonna try to complete in that two-hour time span. Because I used to just do things like, okay, from 10 to noon, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to work on my chapter. I'm going to work on whatever. And I would just sort of fritter the time away because I wouldn't really have a clear sense of what I would need to accomplish by the end of that time block in order to feel like I had done it. So, uh, you know, really deciding, okay, I'm going to read these three journal articles, or I'm going to draft this podcast episode or whatever it is, that makes for a much more compelling to-do list item, or in my case, calendar item than just work on thing. Yeah, there are two things in there that I want to want to pick up on. And first is that breaking down those bigger tasks into manageable chunks. Mm-hmm. And if you have something on your to do list, like, I don't know, fix the fence, that seems like it's probably something you're not going to be able to slot in on a single day. But if you break it into the chunks of, OK, go to the hardware store and buy the stuff that you need, 
that goes onto the to-do list for a specific day or a specific time of a day. And then all the other steps get put in there as well. So it's not just this huge thing that you move from day to day in your calendar or your to-do list because it's, well, it's too big to, to necessarily get done all at once. I think that is that's such an important part of it to not just put these entire like write book on your to do <laughs> list. Podcast. Like, yeah, yeah. You need to break it down into chunks. And the second thing that you talked about is like using that calendar is is such an important thing. Even though I use a to do list app, I break everything into days because I find the same as you by putting it onto a day and prioritizing each thing. It really makes it much more manageable. And that that triage of taking things from the I need to not forget to do this list to the actual to-do list gives you the opportunity to to set it up in a way that is manageable and actually is achievable. So at the end of the day, I actually know when I'm finished my list and I can actually walk away feeling like I've achieved everything I needed to for the day. Yeah, that is so important because when you just have the never-ending to-do list, you never really feel comfortable being done for the day. Right. You know, it just always feels bad, like you didn't get enough done. But when you have decided what that day is going to include, you're off scot-free as soon as you get to the end of that list. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just talking from only my own experience here. So I read some articles about to-do lists while preparing for this episode. I found a particularly good article from Forbes magazine, and they had a statistic that 85% of the population is using a to-do list in a completely ineffective manner. Oops. (laughs) And they're basically doing exactly what we were talking about. They're using their to-do list as a measure of self-worth. And then the unattainableness of that list actually serves as a demotivator for them rather than a motivator. Right. But I wonder if there's also a way that having that giant to-do list makes us feel kind of important in that way that feeling busy makes us feel important, even though it's not particularly pleasant or not particularly productive. It does make us feel sort of important or maybe it just kind of supports our story that we are so overworked and we're stressed and they're fatigued. I mean, a lot of people have that story Mm -hmm. and maybe the to-do list is one of the pieces of evidence for that, you know? Yeah. And it gives us an excuse for why we never get around to the stuff that we say matters to us. Because, well, look at my to-do list. How could I? Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we get a little promiscuous with our to-do lists too. Um, We talked about this in a previous episode where we look at somebody's kind of finish line photo and we think, ooh, I want that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do that. We set a goal without really thinking about what it's going to require of us and whether we're really ready to do that work. We just go ahead and adopt the goal. And I think this is a category of what happens on to-do lists. We just think, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Rebuild the fence, write a book, you know, launch a podcast. And we put it on our to-do list without really taking the time to discern whether it really is important to us, whether it does represent a value that we want to invest our time and energy in. Uh, We just throw it on that to-do list. And I think that that's, we can do better. I actually like to think of having a to dream list as well. Mm. And that's Mm -hmm. where those sort of bigger ideas sort of go on to. So it's not hitting me in the face every single day that I haven't achieved this yet, but it's sort of like a, yeah, I think this is something I'd, I'd like to achieve someday or something that I'm, I'm considering. And you put it on that, that dreamers list and, and then it's got a different priority to it. It doesn't feel oppressive, but it does feel aspirational. Yeah. I like that idea. Just having a separate list for those things. 
Okay, so I think that's a pretty thorough look at to-do lists, but the next one that we wanted to talk about was this idea of having a scorecard. And honestly, like I'm going to give credit where credit is due. A friend of mine, a mindset author named Dean Dwyer, does something really different than what I do and with my to-do list. He actually uses this idea of a scorecard, which is just a list, really, when it comes right down to it. And this scorecard that he keeps really keeps him accountable to the things that he's promised himself he's going to do. So he has what he believes are the key behaviors that allow him to be successful. And he's changed the list over the course of a few years, and it'll probably keep changing. So it's not something that's completely locked down and will never change, but it really does help him stay consistent. And I think the most important thing is it keeps him accountable to himself and his goals. Well, maybe the main difference between a scorecard and a to-do list is that a scorecard is going to remain more consistent from day to day. Like you said, Dean's has evolved somewhat over the years, but more or less, it's the same scorecard every day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas a to-do list is going to be sort of ever-changing. Yeah, in fact, I love to have my to-do list change specifically to keep me me engaged. (laughs) Let it not be the same every single day. Yeah. So again, like Dean has made this commitment to what is on his scorecard and he knows that as long as he is consistent, even like 80% of the time that he's going to be successful in reaching his goals. Well, you know, that's basically the idea behind the Nutrition GPA app, which Mm -hmm. we've talked about before. This was a Uh, an approach that I developed to help people work on their eating habits. And it asks you 10 questions, same 10 questions every day, (laughs) 10 questions about what you ate that day. And in this case, it's five questions about things that we want to do more consistently and five questions about things that we don't want to overdo. So it's sort of a balance of the things that we're trying to do more of and the things that we don't want to do too much of. And similarly to Dean, like my goal is just to have an average of, you know, eight out of 10. Which seems like a a really manageable thing to do. We don't have to be perfect, as we say quite often on this podcast. And actually, this is, again, credit where credit is due. This is something that Monica said years ago before we were friends that really made me uh, gravitate towards her, which is it's not your best day or your worst day. It's what we do most consistently that matters. And and that's that idea. As long as you're, you're doing your best most of the time, then you're, it's much better than getting a 10 out of 10 twice and then doing a 3 out of 10 for the rest of the time. Exactly. So I think one of the problems that can come up with something like a scorecard is, again, making them too overwhelming, making them feel oppressive, and making them feel restrictive or almost negative. That can be a real problem. And in fact, the the listener that we referred to earlier in the in the episode had a couple of things on on her list that were framed in the negative and or sounding restrictive or oppressive so like things like don't drink alcohol could be something that you have on your scorecard or go to bed early or don't order that hamburger when you go out for lunch those kind of things can can actually set you up for failure because our brain doesn't necessarily notice that don't that happens in front of it, but it does notice the word burger, or it does notice <laughs> the word alcohol, and then that seed is planted. It doesn't matter if it had, says don't before it, you have seen the word burger, and now you're thinking about a burger. So what I suggest instead is to frame your list in a in a more positive way and look at the outcome that you're trying to produce by not having the burger, and instead of restricting the burger, try to list that instead. So maybe instead of saying don't eat the burger, you say, order that awesome salad. 
Yeah, and this is another illustration of that idea that it's so much easier to break a bad habit by replacing it with a different, better behavior rather than just trying to abstain from a behavior that we're trying to break. Right, and and sort of part and parcel with that idea is the the idea that you may actually put something on the list that's uh, a little too vague. Mm. Like it's not specific enough. There's, it, it's not as not as clear as it needs to be. Again, going back to, I feel bad we're picking on our our listener who wrote in, but um, on that list was make better choices when I eat out. Well, it's a good impulse, but might be hard to know whether or not you can check that off your scorecard or not. Right, and that's really hard to stick to because it's just so vague. So the antidote for that would be to make sure that you're being clear, you're being actionable, you're you're actually being completable, <laughs> you can measure it, and, uh, and of course, keep it in that positive light as well. Yes, for example, the 10 questions that I put into the Nutrition GPA are all yes or no questions <laughs> that have clear, unambiguous criteria for whether you can say yes or no. <laughs> and being around the Nutrition GPA for as long as I have now, I know that people try to find every loophole there is. <laughs> from those yes and no answers but uh right. but yes it really does come down to a yes or a no there's no maybe or sort of allowed now one thing that our listener actually did do very well and I want to want to highlight that because we seem like we've been picking on her a little bit but she did list the benefit of that behavior or the habit that she's trying to remember to do right alongside the task so in her list it said meditate daily and then in brackets lower stress. Now, this is really quite brilliant because it can actually help you stick to this a lot easier because it's making that that habit or that thing on your scorecard be more meaningful and, and therefore more likely to happen. Yeah, that kind of gives us some insights to why something is on our list. Why did we care about this? And and if you can't think of any benefit or any reason that you have that on your list, maybe it doesn't deserve to be on your list. Right. Going back to the the eat an awesome salad instead of don't order the burger, we'd say eat an awesome salad because it makes me feel good or it makes me feel better. I won't get sleepy in the afternoon. Those kinds of things can can just make it so much easier to adhere to it. And, and you're right. If you put <laughs> don't eat the burger and you're not sure why, then it probably doesn't deserve to be on the list. That's that's a good point. Well, one last type of list that might bear brief mention is the checklist. A few years ago, Atul Gawanda wrote a best-selling book called The Checklist Manifesto. Maybe you remember Ooh. that. <laughs> I in don't, which, but it sounds wonderful. It was really cool. And he illustrated how checklists can help us ensure that complex tasks are executed properly and safely every single time, even if we're rushed or distracted or fatigued. And he gave a lot of examples, like the checklists that pilots use before taking off. Mm. And, you know, most of these pilots have taken off with planes full of people hundreds or thousands of times. It's not like they don't know how to do it, but there are a lot of really important safety checks that have to be done. And they have a protocol where they run through that checklist the same way every single time. It's also been widely adopted in the medical field to avoid medical mistakes, like before surgeries, to have a checklist that the whole team runs through. And in fact, I think the more times we've done something, the more valuable a checklist may be because we're maybe not paying as much attention because it's just all rote. And then it's really easy to forget something. So. Right. 
If you ever have a complex task or sequence of tasks, especially in a situation where an error could be costly or even life-threatening, it might be a really great idea to develop a checklist, but then also commit to using it every single time. And it doesn't even have to be necessarily life-threatening, but if you're afraid that it's going to, that missing out on part of your checklist is going to derail you from living a better life or hitting your goals, it can be worthwhile to do that too. I mean, my my partner leaves her work really early in the morning. (laughs) I'm still in bed kind of early in the morning. And I know the night before, I actually have watched her many times run through her checklist before she goes to bed to make sure that she has everything all ready to go and laid out good to go first thing in the morning. And that way she doesn't have to worry about having to buy lunch the next day because she knows she has it packed already. She doesn't have to spend money on buying a coffee on the way to work because she's got it all set up and ready to just push the button and have it brew. She's got her clothes laid out. She has her podcast downloaded to listen to during her walk to work and all of that kind of stuff. And this not only helps her stay calm and and much happier person, but it actually keeps her on track to, to reach her goals by not having to buy lunch out or spend money on a coffee. Yeah, I have a checklist that I use whenever we're going away for an extended trip that just has things like turn down the water heater, put a couple lights on timers, lock the back gate, stop the mail, you know, and, um, and I just keep it on my phone and my notes app. So I don't have to make it every single time. And I always get it out and just run down before, before we leave the house, um, to make sure that I haven't forgotten anything. It's good stuff. But you know what? One common thing that goes through all of these things, whether it's a to-do list, a checklist, a scorecard or whatever, The most important thing is, is that you have it conveniently located or somewhere with you. None of this is going to help you one little bit. It won't help you stay on track if you've hidden your list somewhere in like a sock drawer or it's only accessible if you're home in the kitchen or something. It needs to be somewhere where you can refer to it as often as necessary. Okay, so let's uh, wrangle this all into some takeaways and then we'll give you your lab experiment for this week. Okay. Number one, when used well, lists or scorecards can help us manage our time, accomplish our goals, and track our progress. But you want to make sure that your list doesn't have more on it than you can reasonably accomplish in a given time frame. Remember that to-do lists aren't just for work and chores. Make sure you also include things that are fun and rewarding on your list. And finally, scorecards are more effective if we use them to track the things we do want to do and not just the things that we want to avoid. Mm-hmm. There were so many nuggets from this episode, but those are maybe just four. Oh, and here's a bonus takeaway. Oh, I love the bonuses. Whether you're keeping a to-do list or a scorecard, include a note for yourself about why each task is important to you or how you will benefit from it. I really like that one. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Okay. Time for a lab experiment. So if you already have an existing to-do list, make sure it only has things that you really plan to accomplish on it. Remove any of the dead weight and make a list that seems doable and is also important to you. And if you don't already have a to-do list, start by making one, but start by listing the tasks that you really want to get done this week. Don't get carried away. Now next, add the fun activities that you have planned or would like to have planned to that list. Do not skip that step. Right. (laughs) Then the next step is to choose three new behaviors that you would like to adopt and add those to your list. And finally, 
If the list is now seeming too long, or if it actually feels like a bummer when you look at it, make sure you move items around and change the wording or remove items that lack meaning until you have a list that feels doable and makes you feel energetic when you look at it. That sounds like fun. And I just have to share um, this week, one of the folks that we coached was uh, talking about a problem and she said, so my first thought was to design a lab experiment. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> nice. how much do I love that your impulse was? Let's see, how can I design a lab experiment about this? That's the perfect illustration of the kind of curiosity that we cultivate in this podcast and in all of the work that we do. So we're curious to know how your lab experiment goes, what's on your to-do list. You can drop us an email at hello at changeacademypodcast.com or come hit us up on social media. We're at changeacpod, changeacpod in all the usual places. Thanks for listening, everyone. And here's to the changes we choose. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. And don't forget to put make your to-do list on your to-do list.